Bow your heads in prayer with me. Heavenly Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be always acceptable in your sight. You are our Lord, our strength, and our Redeemer. Amen. We have um, come finally to these last chapter, chapter and a half of Malachi. Um, We've been sort of looking at Malachi over the past few weeks um, and sort of heeding um, and considering the word he had um, not only for the Israelites in his day, but for us as well. Um, And so we've come now to the end of the book. And generally speaking, Malachi is about a people who have um, failed to give God the worship and the honor that is due his name. Now, to be sure, they go through the motions of worship. Um, they, they are in the temple all the time, praising God, offering sacrifices. They certainly are doing churchy things that you're supposed to be doing. They fail to follow this worship with godly lives. And even worse, the worship that they are offering has become um, rote and heartless, even to the point of of offering to God maimed sacrifices, sacrifices of spoiled food. Instead of giving God um, the first fruits and the best animals, they're giving him the last of their harvest, the worst of their animals. They're following that up with unrighteous lives, um, following that up with a failure to return the gifts of God um, that he has given them, to return to them, um, to return them back to God as he is due. Um, and so it's an interesting place. It's the people who go through the motions of following the Lord, but whose hearts are not there. And it's evidenced in their lives. And so um, all that leads up then to our last uh, our passages this morning, the last passages in Malachi. And what we're going to see then is they're actually, um, the Lord is addressing two types of, of people, um, and we're not sure what's happened. Maybe um, both of these types of people have tried it out. Maybe they've tried to return to the Lord as Malachi challenged them in chapter three. Um, but but at the end of the day, uh, the people of Israel have been sorted basically into two groups. Um, there are those who um, think all of this is worthless and it's not working, and there are those who are waiting patiently and persevering with God. We're going to look at them this morning, and I want you. Um, to consider the fact that you belong in one of these two groups. I belong in both of them, depending on, on how you're doing on any given day, but we've certainly all been in both, um, on both sides of this thing. And I want you to ask yourself this question as you're listening to the sermon. Where am I? How do I see God? How am I responding to Him? And is that where the Lord would have me today? So, the first type of person that we want to, to note um, is, is someone who believes that, that, that this return to God that he's called for is pointless. It's not working. Um, they see, they look at the world around them and they see wicked prospering and they think, what's it all for? What's the point? Why would I get up and go to synagogue, go to the temple and worship God and give him my first fruits? Nothing, nothing is happening to me in a good way because of that. And so um, what we're going to do is we're going to back up just a little bit um, to Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. 
And uh, we're going to get that up on the screen. But we also, um, you know, if you've got a Bible, it would be a great time to open it. Malachi chapter 3, verse 13. You could have a, a Bible like this or a Bible on your phone. I'm guessing at the end of the day, 90% of you have some sort of access to a Bible at this particular minute. Um, and so you can pull it out and follow along. Malachi chapter 3, beginning at verse 13. This is the first group of people. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord. But you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Just to be clear, this is a group of Israelites. This is a group of God's chosen people. These are people who worship God in the temple. These are not pagans. These are not the nations that are outside of Israel. These these are the people of God, okay? And they have concluded that there is no use in worshiping or serving the Lord. They see no profit in keeping His commandments No reward for wailing and mourning is how it puts it. Um, uh, No reward for wailing and mourning before God. And that means repenting. No no, no room for um, weeping over their sinfulness and repenting before God. They say it's not helping. Nothing is happening. They look around and they see that the arrogant ones are the ones who are being blessed. That the wicked ones are the ones who are prosper. Those who do evil are actually escaping the judgment of God. Why would we go through these motions if you look around the world and say the bad are having good things happen to them? The good are having bad things happen to them. What is the point? You know, really, maybe this way of thinking is justified. Even within Malachi, we see a promise from God. If if we were to back up to chapter 3, verse 10, we read this last week. This is what God says to the people. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse, and there, that there may be food in my house. So he's saying, give me your first fruits, give me your 10% so that there can be um, food in my house, so that my house will, be, um, will, will prosper. And so God says, bring this to me, and then listen what he says. Thereby put me to the test, says the Lord, and see, see if I will not open the windows of heaven for you, And pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. Right? God has just said it. Follow me. Worship me. Return to me what's through my name. And see if I won't pour out a blessing on you. And so I think this group of people tried it. They don't think it's working. What is the point? The evil prosper. The arrogant or blessed. There's certainly more than a few of us here in this room who think the same way. You know, look around. That's what it seems. The evil prospering, the arrogant being blessed. I want to challenge you 
on this way of thinking. If you're in that camp, um, I know some, some of you likely are or have been. I, I've certainly wondered that myself before. It's an okay thing to wonder. Um, but, but the reason you would wonder it are there's a couple of assumptions you're making that are not true. Okay? And the first assumption is this. Um, to make a statement, to say that this is pointless because God is not um, blessing me and blessing um, the way I'm worshiping him, the first point is this. Um, you are assuming that God's reward to his faithful people is near to us in time and is of material value. You're assuming that it is near to us in time and that it is of material value. These are assumptions, but these are not what is promised by God. He says he will pour out his blessing. He doesn't say when. He says he will pour out his blessing, but he doesn't specify exactly what that looks like. We are assuming that it's something material. We're assuming that, you know, if we give to God, he's going to give back to us. It's almost like um, some sort of divine stock market. We can put in $100 and maybe we'll get 200 back. Right? We think that way. But that's not, that's not what he says. In and, and 3.10, he says, I will bless you. But what does he say? I will bless you according to your need. Not according to your want. Not according to your desire. But according to your need. And the idea is that, that God does. He honors the needs of his faithful people. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Give us this day our daily bread. We don't say, give us this day, Lord, bread to last us for the next year, just in case you don't show up tomorrow. Give us this day our daily bread. Give us what we need. Paul, one of the most faithful men in all of Scripture, is writing a letter, and he's recounting a time where he had a particular thorn in his flesh. And we're not sure what it is, but, but it was bothering him. It was, he felt like it was keeping him from ministry. And he says, Lord, please, please remove this thorn from my side. Remember how the Lord responds? He says, my grace is sufficient for you. My grace is sufficient for you. Paul, you have what you need. And that is my blessing for you. And so when we, when we start to wonder about what's, what's happening with God and why, why the evil are prospering um, and why we're not receiving the blessing that we think God has promised us, one of the problems is that we're assuming things about it. We're assuming when it's going to happen now. We're assuming what it is, some sort of um, material or word, worldly blessing or something we want, not necessarily something we need. And that leads us into the second challenge of our way of thinking. If we say God is not following through with what he said he's going to do, um, we're putting ourselves in judgment over God. We're putting ourselves in judgment over God's timing, and we're putting ourselves in judgment over the blessing that God is providing. The starting point for this line of thinking is this. I know what I need. I know when I need it, and therefore, if God doesn't provide it, he's not blessing me. I know what I need, I know when I need it, and if God doesn't provide it, he's not blessing me. And if that's your starting point, absolutely, you're going to ask, why, God? I go to church, I go to Bible study, I read my Bible every day, I serve the community, I tell other people about Jesus, I'm doing the right things, and why is it not pouring back? 
And so you start to ask, well, either God doesn't care. Okay, that's one option. Either he doesn't care or God really prefers to bless the evil people. Okay? Or the, the third option, and this is most prevalent in our culture and even in Christian circles, is this. I'm not trying hard enough. God says he's going to bless the faithful. I must not have enough faith. God says he's going to bless those who are generous. I must not be generous enough. If I work harder and try harder and do it harder, God will finally bless me. That is the predominant teaching in a lot of churches in this country. Um, it's a predominant teaching you'll hear on a lot of radio stations. It's a predominant teaching you'll see on TV. And I'm telling you, it is absolutely false. It's absolutely false. It's a false gospel. And if you think God pours out more blessing based on the amount of work you put in for him, you've not gotten it. My grace, my grace is sufficient for you. Believe in that. Anything that you do on top of that is a response to the thing I've already freely given you. There is nothing for you to earn. There's no additional burden for you to bear. It has been born on the cross in Jesus Christ. My grace, my grace is sufficient. And so we have to have a new starting point. How about this? God knows what I need. God knows when I need it. And God has demonstrated time and time again that he provides for his people. And so Israel, all they had to do was look at their scriptures and see the amazing faithfulness of God. And all many of us have to do is look in our lives and remember the time that God was faithful to us. He didn't deliver us out of suffering. He didn't deliver us out of persecution, but he, he brought us through it. Because he's a faithful God. So that's um, then the first type of, of, of person that um, sees the world and says, well, God's not following through on his promises. Therefore, this, what we're doing this morning is, is pointless. Um, but there's a second type of person. Um, these folks, I would say, are um, patiently waiting. They're persevering um, and faithful and trust that God will one day come through with what he has said he would do. So let's look at them. Verses 16 to 18. This is where our reading began this morning. Those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them. And a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession and I will spare them as a man spares a son who serves him. So there's this group of people, and it's an interesting um, thought that, that they're speaking with each other. Okay, we don't know what they're saying. Um, it's interesting to consider that they were talking to each other and that the, the Lord's listening and he hears them. Um, and then he actually um, writes down what they were doing in a book of remembrance. And so the Lord is taking notice of them. But who are these people? How, do, how would we describe them? Well, two things about them that, that we would know. One is they fear the Lord, okay? It says that they fear the Lord. It doesn't mean that they're um, afraid of God necessarily, but it means that they, um, 
are, are aware of who he is, that he is God and they are not. And because of that, they trust his judgment, they trust his timing, and they trust his provision. Now, that doesn't mean they're not crying out and asking God to come and redeem his creation. That's the great cry of Revelation at the very end. They cry out, come Lord Jesus. It acknowledges that there's sin in this world, that there's evil in this world, and that we need redemption. So certainly they're crying out, but at the end of the day, they recognize God's right to allow what he allows. They recognize God's right to provide what he provides, even if allowing these things grieves him, even if he wants to give abundantly so much more, that he is provident, that he is sovereign, and that he knows what we need. So they fear the Lord. And the second thing is they esteem his name. So despite the way it looks like it's sorting itself out and evil prospering and arrogant being rewarded, they still honor God. They worship Him. They live lives that bring honor to His name. They esteem His name. Don't we pray that again in the Lord's Prayer every week? Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be Your name. May Your name be praised. May I glorify You with my faithfulness. And so they worship God and they honor Him because they hold His name in high regard and they recognize what He has done in the history of His people. And so these people who uh, fear the Lord, who esteem His name, um, two things happen. They're noticed by God. What a kind of a strange thing that God has like a diary, I guess, right? Like, Oh, I saw Roy today. He was doing a good job. And write it down, you know, and, and that God notices that. The little things in our lives that we do faithfully, not the big things, those two, of course, but the little day in and day out faithful things you do, God he notices that. He notices patient and reverent perseverance. The second thing about these folks that God does, um, he doesn't only really notice them, but he makes them his treasured possessions. Think about that for a moment. His treasured possessions. I have a toddler. She's, not, she's a little girl now. It's amazing. Um, but if there's something she treasures, she like puts it in a little bag, right? And she carries it around with her everywhere. And let's say you just try to put the bag up. Just try to put it up like where it belongs. And freak out. Not because of the bag, but because of that treasured thing that's in it. You are God's treasured possession. He will hold you and guard you and care for you and deliver you and bring you to that day of joy and that day of glory. You're his treasured possession. The God of the universe treasures us. So there's a promise then. If we get to verse 18. Once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked between the one who serves God and the one who does not serve him. I know it's messed up now. God's saying, I know these things are, are mingled together and you can't sort it out and it looks backwards and upside down, but, but one day you will know the difference. For behold, the day is coming 
burning like an oven when all the arrogant and all evildoers will be, will be stubble. The day that is coming shall set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall rise with healing in his wings. You shall go out leaping like calves from the stall, and you shall tread down the wicked, for they will be ashes under the soles of your feet on that day when I act, says the Lord of hosts. I know things are messed up now. God knows things are messed up now. But a day is coming, says the Lord, when this will all get sorted out. There's something here about prophecy we need to know. Um, when you read prophecy in, in scriptures, one thing you have to consider is how it gets fulfilled. Think about looking on a mountain range, okay? And on, when, you, when you look at a distance, say for instance, if you're coming up in the Blue Ridge Mountains and you look at a distance, um, it all looks pretty flat, right? Pretty two-dimensional. And the mountains go up and down and up and down and up and down, right? And um, that's just what it looks like. Now tell me, I'll tell you from experience, it's not like that. You climb one, and then you go down it, and then actually there's another one behind it, and you go up and down and up and down. And so these mountains that are maybe um, miles apart in, in, in real life, from your perspective as a distant, they're brought close together, and they look like they're on the same plane. Well, that's how Malachi is seeing these events. He's seeing these as prophetic peaks in a mountain range, and he just says, okay, well, they're all in the same plane. They're all going to happen at the same time. He doesn't, he doesn't know any more than we would know if God said, write this down, and you're like, wow, that's fascinating, but you don't, know, you don't know what it means. And so this prophecy has two layers of fulfillment. On one level, the day of the Lord has come. It has come in the death, resurrection, and ascension of Jesus Christ, and in the sending of the Holy Spirit. Peter tells us this in his Pentecost sermon, and he, he looks on the Holy Spirit being poured out of all of these, and he quotes the prophet Joel, and he says, the great and glorious day of the Lord is here, right now. And so this great sorting out, it, it's happening, that the people of God are being known by their faithfulness in Jesus Christ, by their reception of the Holy Spirit. People aren't going to know your faith because you're rich. They're not going to know the faith because you're powerful. They're not going to know your faith because you're successful. None of those things are going to matter in the kingdom of God. They're going to know God's people will be known in this world because they love Jesus and because they bear the marks of the Holy Spirit in their lives. That's what is happening on this great and glorious day of the Lord. But there's more. Consider this idea of the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts and consider this idea of us being God's treasured possessions hanging tight to us even through the midst of tumult and turmoil. I'm going to read to you, just listen to this, Ephesians 1 verse 13. This is Paul talking about believers receiving the Holy Spirit. Ephesians 1 verse 13. In Jesus... You also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, okay? When you believe in Jesus by hearing the word and the gospel, you are sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. When you receive the Holy Spirit through faith in Jesus Christ, that is God saying, you are mine. 
No matter what may come in this present world, you are mine. Nothing will separate you from the love of God in Jesus Christ. Friends, that has happened. The great and glorious day of the Lord has come. But at the same time, it is still coming. There's another one that will come when Jesus Christ will um, descend. We're going to sing it, a fabulous song at, at communion, the um, Trump shall resound and the, the clouds will part like scrolls and all these things. And Jesus Christ is going to descend and it's going to be amazing. And this expectation, this sorting out, this, this, this judgment on good and evil and, and evil getting destroyed and judgment on the good and the creation being renewed, it, it is going to happen. And the people of God will stand in the light of Jesus Christ and they will worship him. And they'll praise his name. There'll be no more tears and no more suffering, and God will be with his treasured possessions. And that hope, that's a future hope, brings us present joy. It brings us present joy. Because we know where we're going, right? We know what's coming. And so we cry out. We pray, come, Lord Jesus, come and deliver us from this evil age. But we know that there's nothing, nothing, absolutely nothing that can separate you from the love of God. So we don't just go through the motions. We submit ourselves to the Lord. We have the guarantee of his Holy Spirit through our faith in Jesus Christ. We can trust that we have right now all that we need. And on that second great and glorious day of the Lord, we'll have all that we could ever imagine.